In season one, we had the privilege of speaking to Scotty IV from the Stay Out Late Collective. Here in season two, we also welcome from the Stay Out Late crew, rapper, songwriter, model, and arts curator Tremaine. On a snowy morning in Brampton, we welcome Tremaine into Gumbo Studios to talk about his family's migration from Jamaica to Canada, as well as how he played soccer at a very high competitive level with his siblings, including his brother, international soccer superstar Junior Hoylet. We also talk about how Tremaine made the transition from athletics to music and how one of his cousins involved in the Toronto hip-hop scene was very instrumental in that transition. For independent musicians, this episode is a must-listen. Tremaine drops a lot of gems about the importance of having a strong crew around you, some of his failures and what he learned from them, as well as how to get sponsorship deals with different brands. We hope you enjoy. This is Season 2, Episode 6 of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Hey, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your host, B-Magic. I got my brother Noise with me. Yo, it's been a good... Can we just explain what happened this morning? First of all, <laughs> I, I am hungover as fuck right now. Yeah. This is the earliest we've ever done a podcast. But, you know, shit gotta keep moving. Shout out to the early morning boys, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yo, for those that don't know, introduce yourself. Who is that voice? Yo, 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 it's Tremaine. You know, Shout out, <laughs> uh, OG Brampton representative, uh, 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 uh. one part of stay out late, Tell you know, out here, you know, just doing my thing, you know, back it's, in these Brampton good, streets, it's good yo, to be back commodity. in these Brampton yeah. streets. It's good to be, it's good to be out here. I feel like I make it out here. So like, it's so rare that I'm back out here. So every time I come out here, it's like mad nostalgic and shit, but. Yeah. Trust, you know, man. yo. First of all, thank you for coming to Brampton. Appreciate that. Mandem. Appreciate yo, that. We, we, Trey, yo. Trey messaged me at like six in the morning. He's like, <laughs> he's like, we still good? All right, I'm coming. I'm like, yo, the snowstorm. Yo, I woke up because when I woke up at six, it was still like blizzarding. Yeah. So I'm looking outside, like, man, like if I remember correctly, like Brampton gets it ten times worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yo, are these guys gonna be able to like move cars? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it gonna be a state of emergency out there? It was wild, bro, but, like, we made it. It was a nice little trip. Got to vibe out a little bit. And then, like, coming back in the first, yo, shout out mom and dad one more time. Because coming back and getting, like, a, a breakfast like that, like, a homemade uh, breakfast is, like, it's special, bro. bro. you guys got treated it's today, yo, yeah. it's special. Every podcast kind of thing. It's but special, yo, dude. I told mom, I'm like, Tremaine came back to Brampton <laughs> for the breakfast. So, you know, like, I glass, Let you me know? make sure it happens. I'm like, yeah, bro. Yeah, so I picked up Tremaine. And then I told Magic, I'm like, all right, we're coming for 1030 in the morning. You got to be awake. So <laughs> I wasn't awake at all. He was nah. not awake. Man, um, I'm showered as you guys came in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about it in the car because I'm like, yo, yeah. he's having those mornings where you wake up and you're like, oh, shit. And you're showering, brushing your teeth and putting on your clothes at the same time. <laughs> Bro, there's not many people who can get the Sunday morning slot on our podcast, but yeah. Tremaine... We're willing to do that for you, brother. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yo, you know? Salute to the mandem, bro. That's yeah. what this, this is when the minds are super active. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's fresh. Straight up. I like it. I yeah. like it. We might have to make this a ritual. Now. Mm. Yo, I think it's a good way to start. You know, get the breakfast going, get the tea flowing. Yeah, That's bro. Uh, I think it's a good way to start. Get your bellies full, and then mm. we'll get into the conversation from there. You guys are going to start <laughs> making a run at breakfast club right quick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll actually have breakfast. Yeah. Us. That's the difference. <laughs> Uh, but man. yeah, I guess 
we'll get into the story a little bit. So Tremaine, you know, you've got a a pretty pretty dope family that's involved in a lot of different aspects from music to sports to entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I guess just taking it back from the beginning, where is your family originally from and Jamaica. when did that Okay, straight from the J-A, islands. you know what yeah. I mean? Shout and out to the warm weather. <laughs> need that, need that right yeah need that right now yeah Can't so lie. when did that transition take place of moving from jamaica to canada and do you know uh, some of the circumstances around the move um so like everybody who for the most part like all the stories that i know in regards to people who migrate from jamaica it's always looking for something better you know what i mean like it, it's uh it's funny because i feel like in especially in the caribbean at an early age you're sold this like story of like yo move to like move to far and it's like <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. it's it's a better place like you more opportunities everybody's gonna be blessed and uh so my mother uh moved down here with her brothers and sisters when she was like young like i think she was like six um and it was like a process because I think she wasn't the first wave. She was the second wave. Okay. Um, so her siblings were down here earlier. Then she came down and her mom like worked her ass off. They live, uh, they lived in like Rexdale. I think she still is in like the same spot and just like just tireless hours trying to make sure that everybody is good. Um, but like there's it it gets it gets real deep in that regard like yeah. there's there's a lot of shit that happens when it comes to like a big family like that where like the mom is the only one that's out here and she's trying to take care of the whole family there's four or five siblings and like everybody kind of got to like do their part to make sure that the house is working mm-hmm. so like i don't know shout out to my mom and shout out to her her siblings my uncles and aunts cuz like they uh they went through a lot to get to a point where like everybody's pretty good now you know what i mean bless bless yeah uh what are some of your like earliest memories like where did you grow up um me yeah like i was born in toronto yeah uh i spent like a couple years in saga and then i was here like mad early like six yeah um and like my earliest memories is just like being a kid you know what i mean like it's very interesting that like my story because like my my mom like had me i don't really know my dad um and then two years later she had my brother uh junior Shut up. Uh, yeah 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 and um after like when so at that time she was with like a new dude yeah. so that like i knew like my stepdad more than anybody else yeah. but like we were already we were already clashing like we clashed mad early um yeah, yeah. so that was like a beef thing but like growing up in the household there was like a lot of like they would do their thing as parents and then like we would do our thing as kids so like we were like outside from like eight in the morning until like nine ten at night like we just stayed outside like the motive was like yo whatever we can do to be outside we're outside doing it you know what i mean and uh i feel like that's how sports started uh for us so like big sports family like everybody from like me down to like my little sister like we are all like into sports all played soccer uh, me and my brothers played baseball and basketball. Um, we did a little bit of, like, taekwondo. Like, we were just, like, very, very, like, into athletics. Um, yeah. And as the story progresses, like, my bro is now a professional soccer player. Uh, my second younger brother, like, he was playing in Germany for a long while. Now he's back here DJing, running, like, uh, the restaurant yeah. that we have in Brampton. But, like, uh, 
I know, man. It's uh, those are like the early memories, just like outside, like twenty four seven, just like uh, yo. For the, for the people who do not know, your brother is Junior Hoyle. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you know, quick little brag, like yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. man them. Because I remember actually playing with Junior as a kid in Brampton, and them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was younger than me. But, yo, the man was playing two years up. And, yeah. like, even at that age, we were like, yeah. yo, this guy is fucking crazy. He's just yeah. smashing, dude. Bro, yeah. he was wild back then. Yeah, but, yo, man. I remember, like, going to Europe was, like, an unheard of thing yeah. here in Canada. Well, right? it's... It was, most of the time, it was like, yo, just fucking play for a good team. Eventually, you'll get, like, a scholarship. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. on with that. Well, right? like, but, with that shit, it was, like, that's crazy to think about in regard to, like, what what he stands for for the infrastructure of soccer specifically for Canada. Yeah, Canadian because soccer, like yeah. I remember when Brampton started, like uh I was on the first rep like soccer team in the city with yeah. Chinkuzi. Yeah. And like we at that time were playing a year up because they didn't even have like a year for us at that yeah. time. And then the next year, like Brampton came and uh Mississauga had their team or whatever. So like at that year, that was when my brother like was kicking ass in like uh house league yeah. and they were like, Yo, you can't play with these kids no more. <laughs> like this man scoring like five, six goals a game and just like ruining some kids and yeah. like it's supposed to be something that's a little bit more fun. So yeah. like kids' morales were down, so they were like, Nah, you gotta go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then he started playing, like he played up with me from that point on. Uh, like two years up and it was it was funny and that was actually to the effect of like what I was talking about before like off camera with uh, noise is like now that I think about it the first time I've ever like experienced how like the the business side like the behind the scenes works in a lot of things because it was like we were playing for Brampton but like everybody knew how good he was and his like his dad like from jump was like i bet now that i know this like you're gonna be somebody in this uh sport so like there was a lot of like movement real quick like we were playing for brampton if the coach didn't seem like he had like a vision or whatever it was like all right we got to go to another team and there was always like a team scouting right so there was always a team and like me and him were like a duel so like we would go everywhere like together and, like, I was always, like, big brother enforcer on the field. But, like, yeah, yeah. I was nice with it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was nice with it as well. But um, so we, like, went from Brampton to Mississauga um, to Oakville. And when we got to Oakville, it was, like, a different, like, vibe. Yeah. Like, the coach there had, like, he was a coach in Europe. He used to play himself. And he had so many, like, so much knowledge and so many connects that we just started, like, traveling. And we were, like, like when he was like yeah we're going to dallas for like this huge tournament where like all these international dope teams i'm like i'm like oh okay (laughs) and then all of a sudden like we're like 12 years old out in dallas playing with like ill-ass brazilian soccer teams just like getting our ass whooped and like having that first realization that like yo we were the shit in canada but you're nothing anywhere else then it's like i bet now you got to work harder yeah, I mean, you go home and you have more motivation. What, like, what age did he go to Europe? Because it was pretty young when he went. Um, so we went out to Europe. Uh, I was I was fourteen. He was twelve. Yeah, I think it might have been earlier, but I think that was when. And uh, we played in this like the basically the, there was the Dallas Cup, and then the uh, the tournament that we played in out in Wales was like this other tournament. But it was like huge for the fact that that was how everybody uh, uh, in like the EPL scouted for like their teams yeah. like their farm teams so like Liverpool scouts were out there Chelsea scouts were out there Manchester scouts were out there it was like nuts and I remember just like everybody getting picked up 
one by one by one by one and then uh i don't even think he got his like they didn't call him until we came back and then manchester was like yeah we want you to come like run a thing with us and then so he started in the manchester camp and uh progressed from there like manchester we learned that like their whole like strategy was like they they basically like train you and then when you turn 18 they sell you to the highest bidder to to pay for bigger uh players so they're like nah we can't have that because we don't know what your future is going to be like you know you could end up in like fucking i don't know playing for some idiot teams (laughs) (laughs) so he went to blackburn blackburn was like more into like training their kids and then starting them in the epl so he was like i think at the time he was the youngest person to start in the epl at like just before you turned 18 and uh yeah the rest is history you know was there a lot of like Obviously, because you're a musician, what was like the music scene in your household? What kind of music was being played while you were young? Um, so that my uh, my brother's dad was a uh, uh, reggae DJ. Okay. Um, so like our bait, like we used to have jams, like enough, like summertime. We'd have like barbecues, invite everybody over, and like in in Jamaica, in like when you're like a dancehall DJ you usually own like these giant like the uh like the giant like dance hall speakers that like yeah, just yeah. boom right so we had like maybe a few of those in the basement that we used to pull out for the jams and just like tear down the whole block <laughs> on some like wild stuff but it was definitely like straight uh like dance hall and like old school like reggae you know lovers rock that type of stuff um and, but for me like I've always been I've always been like the black sheep, you know what I mean? And like it's always been um it's always been something that like I've I like for the long for the most part I've never been aware of it and I don't know why, but it was always something that I kind of gravitated towards. So I got into like R&B because um one of my mom's friends, uh a girl named Marcia, she used to do a radio show and her radio show was hip hop and R&B. Okay. And I think she gave me my first CD ever Uh, actually no i think she actually gave it to my brother my brother wasn't even really into into music like that so i remember i kind of picked it up and i was like rocking it super heavy um and that was kind of like the time where bt was like super popping so i was like really into that as well who were some of your uh, favorite um favorite artists at that point r&b so at that time it was uh drew hill okay um it was uh black street it was interesting enough cameron so like <laughs> when like he was like probably one of my first in- introductions to like uh hip-hop him and tupac but cameron confessions of fire album oh, like horse yeah, and carriage yeah, yeah, yeah. i used to yeah i yeah. used to rinse that bro <laughs> i used to rinse that i remember there was a song called d rugs on there yeah. that thing was nuts <laughs> that um and then the uh, the song "What Means the World to You," oh, what means the world okay. to you? yo, that that was my joint for the longest time. And I remember like this was before I was even into hip hop. I just like knew I loved that joint. And then whatever, like a bunch of shit happened, like um, in regard to like getting me into hip hop. Because at first I was I, like I was uh, I did I wrote poems and I wrote short short stories, but I wasn't really like a hip hop dude. And uh, when I got into hip hop, I knew that like off rip that was one thing that i wanted to rap on for like the longest time so yeah. like i'd be i like i had that in the pocket and i used to like we did a whole bunch of other joints and i remember when i finally got like my first studio set up 
um, in my uncle's basement. I was like, bet. Like the first time I ever recorded myself, I was like, I'm throwing that on. And I just went ham on it. It was like, it was a moment still. What even <laughs> made you have the thought of like that you could even make music? Like, you know? There were two parts to it. So the first part was that I had a older cousin who was like, like killing it for a second in like the what was which is not really anything like the original like Toronto like music scene, yeah. which was like garbage. It was super <laughs> true. <laughs> but um, but he was like up there and like very well respected. And like I remember just like being a huge fan of like his ability and like seeing him record because like he um, he's on my mom's side. So he's like my true uh, cousin. And he uh, had a setup in my uncle's basement. Like, I used to uh, write short stories that they'd make me, like, perform at, uh, like, uh, assemblies. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like yeah, you got to tell this, like, in front of everybody in school. And I'm like, I wasn't even like that. Like, I was kind of, I don't know if I was, like, I, would, I wouldn't say I was shy, but I was just, like, not, like, it didn't hit me. Like, I was like, I right, whatever. Like, I'd go and do it, and I'd be like, whatever. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, the vibe wasn't there. I was, yeah. I was very angsty as, like, a kid. Yeah. Um, and, uh but seeing him do that, I was just like, yo, I want, I want to know this. I want to know this. And like, I used to stick around a lot and I used to ask him for like beats and stuff. Yeah. And he used to always play me. He'd be like, yo, like you, you go work on your writing and like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like, you know, do that. Like, yo, shoo, shoo, shoo. Like get yeah. out of here. Like grown men are trying to work. Um, and then he actually got into like a car accident and passed away. And that shit like tore me apart. Cause like, there was like the beginnings of something there with us, yeah. like as a relationship that like I never seen manifest. You know what I mean? But at the end of it, it was like everybody was so torn and everything that he had built up to that point was just like sitting in a basement. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, man, like, I, like I feel like obligated that I have to like figure this out. And yeah. I just like I remember the first time I just like that summer sitting in the basement just like turning things on not knowing what i was doing just pressing buttons and yeah. you know what i mean trying to figure it out um and yeah and i just like never stopped <laughs> that was it i just like never stopped a, that, that's kind of a crazy story because it's like you're looking up to your cousin right and he's taken away from you at a at an early age yeah and like you feel like a need to step into those those uh shoes that he was in yeah. right but that's that's a really fucking dope story, but it's like, when when did like obviously because you were fucking around with the equipment and this yeah. and that, but like, when did you start like making like proper songs with like hooks and like verses and this that? Did that come naturally to you, or was it like something that you had to learn? Um, like, I feel like it's hard to explain because yeah. like it was always there. I always knew like with a verse a hook i i couldn't count for like the life of me and i'm still like not the illest counter like i know how to survive uh, there's there's sometimes where we'll do a song with tremaine and he's like you'll stop at like 18 bars it's like <laughs> why'd you stop at 18 <laughs> <laughs> bro i'm the same way bro, bro I'm, on, I'm on my i'm on my odb sometimes you know what I mean? <laughs> i'm just like yo turn the mic on let me go <laughs> <laughs> No, this verse is gonna be 18 bars bro. <laughs> oh man but like um I feel like, like, I've always been such a fan of music, and it's always been like a, a place that's kind of like uh, I don't know, been like dope for me. Like I remember like a lot of like the soccer matches that we'd go to, and we just like 
be bumping music the entire time there. Like it wasn't a lot of like we didn't really talk. We weren't like a family who like we had a lot of like moments where like we had full conversations. Like music was like the thing that kind of like kept us all together. So we go into a car, we like I bet like what are we listening to turn that on, and that was like from point A to point B. That's it. Like we're just listening to the music. Mm. Um, so there were like a lot of moments like that that I feel like that built like the relationship uh, with music for me. And a lot of everything else was just me kind of like experimenting until I got it right, um, for which I'm still, I still feel like I'm learning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just like that, having the opportunity to have everything at your fingertips, I feel like was very beneficial. Cause I remember the first time I actually like recorded publicly with uh, Scott and Prezi. And it was like when we, the beginnings of like when we started doing this like at school um and that was like it was like a joke and we were like putting out some we wanted to put out something called the murder mixtape which was like basically all the kids getting together and doing like a diss tape for certain people in school (laughs) (laughs) so like we're getting together and just like skipping class and like starting to like learn like the beginnings of it uh scott and prez are starting to make beats but we're like also doing a lot of dubs and stuff like that and um I was, like, mad trash at recording at the beginning. Like, I was, like, I couldn't, I I knew how to write it, but then when it came, when they turned the mic on, I was, like, fuck, like, I don't know what I'm doing, bro. You know what I mean? Like, take after take after take. And that's when you thought that everything had to be just, like, one take. Like, you're listening to Jay-Z, Jay-Z's, like, I go and then kill it in one take. <laughs> so you're, like, yeah, I got to live up to that. Um, and it wasn't until, like, I sat in that basement and kind of just, like, kept going and going and going that I kind of finally understood how to do it. Yeah. Um and yeah, that was kind of like the at, at what point do you start taking on more of um or start dedicating more of your time to music and kind of moving away from soccer? That happened probably like after the trip that we took to Wales. Um so I knew I kind of knew before then, but like it was the struggle of being able to be like, yo, everybody in my family does sports, like how are you the person that's going to like not do it are you the person that kind of like loses passion and uh so it took a lot in me to be able to kind of like finally be like yo like i don't want to do this anymore you know what i mean Mm. and uh i remember just like not like being on that trip and everybody kind of being like yo this is our big chance like everybody has to perform to the top of like everything and i'm i'm like just like not in it and like there was a whole bunch of controversy going on at that time with like uh, uh us in soccer as well uh, our family and junior and everything in regard to just like everybody like kind of it was kind of like where everything was based around like junior as a player and like who they could put beside him to shine so it was like all right well like we're all paying big money to be here like if we're in we're in the oakville soccer club everybody has like the guap so like yeah. i don't know what the full situation was because we were like mad young but like all I know is that, like, it was, like, it definitely seemed like it was a situation where, like, people who had the most money were getting more shine. Uh, you know what I mean? Mad politics in yeah. soccer, man. Yeah, man. So, like, for that, for that, for me, like, I was getting a lot of it because, like, Junior was, like, the star player, right? So, like, he'd be, like, there's no, like, question. He's out there. And for me, I was, like, yo, I'm not even into it. Like, I don't even, like, I'm young. I'm not trying to yeah. fuck with the politics like that. And I remember just, like, like writing. I was always writing, like, I made like my first like joke song for the soccer team like it's called like black stallion 
And like, okay. <laughs> it was something that like I used to use to like boost morale. I've always been like an entertainer in that respect, where it's like, I was always a person that people would go do like feel better, happier, boom, boom, boom. And just like, that, that was like a vibe that I always kind of kept with me. But like, my mind was definitely like, at that trip, I was, I was already out. You yeah. know what I mean? So then when I came back, I kind of just made that full decision. Like, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm done. You talked a little bit about how you struggled with finding your confidence on the mic. At what point did you find that confidence? Or did you have a moment where, you know, someone validated you or someone complimented you in such a way? Or, you know, you just felt comfortable in your own skin on the mic to the point where you, know, you actually realized, yo, I'm, I'm kind of nice with this. <laughs> um, to be honest, I feel like that, funny enough, came from the fact that, like, my high like a lot of my high school uh experience was like i was like mad hated because i was like again with like the whole black sheep situation like i was always anti everything you know what i mean mm. um and i guess like g going into high school i, I like i had a, a very diverse friends group but like high school is for me it was like the first time that everybody kind of chose sides like it was like browns with browns blacks with blacks whites oh. with whites and, like, at that time, I was not fully, like, into, like, like the black community. Um, but, like, I was in there. You know what I mean? But, like, they knew me as the kid who, like, knew a little bit too much of everybody else. <laughs> so they were like, oh, yeah, like, get out of here. Like, you, you know what I mean? And uh, I remember college dropout coming out. And that, like, or, like, even before, it was actually uh, Rap City, uh, the one that used to come on at, like, 12 o'clock at night when they used to play 10 videos yeah, yeah. and uh, seeing through the wire and like through the wire, just fucking me up. Like through the wire, just being a moment for me. Where I was like, yeah, this is like, this is different. Like, this is it. This is amazing. Like this is, this is me. This is motivation. And having that moment just kind of be like, yeah, I'm on the right path. Fuck it. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. And going to school with like a different energy. You know what I mean? And just like embracing that role and then I guess, like, that was where when I started doing uh, songs and I started, like, catching things and knowing that I'm doing things right because I was comparing it to other people and, like, having people vibe outside of, like, the haters at school and shit. It was like, all right, I'm doing something. And then, like, having those moments in school where, like, I'm rapping and people are like, oh, oh, shit. You know what I mean? Where, like, you're trying, like, you know that people are out there to, like, fully hate, but when you hit them with a line and they're like, oh, shit, I was actually fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they were Straight just like, oh, okay, shit, like, all right, we got to give you a little bit of credit, but we don't want to give you too much credit. We don't gas your head, you know what I mean? And um, I, I just remember just being like, yeah, got this. And, like, taking that and just, like, going and going and going. And then I don't even, like, performing because I've always, there's always in some aspect of my life always been, like, this performance thing. Like, even when I was playing soccer, I remember just being, like, uh, like every time I was on the field, like I was a leader. I was a dude that people looked to. I was a person who was like super vocal, like telling people to less like, this is where you got to be. This is what you got to do. Like you'll catch that dude. Like I was like hugely vocal on the, on the pitch. And um, th that transitioning into like the first time we had an opportunity to perform, which was like some like, pro like showcase that, um, these guys uh, by the name I think Change Promotion were putting on and it was mad big because anybody who was at all somebody in the music scene at that time was there so it was like Eric Flowchild it was like um, 
who else was there? Rich Kid. And, like, all these people who I was like, man, like, these are dudes that, like, everybody talks about on a regular. And I'm like, I got to I gotta kill it. I got to murk it. So it was, yeah. like, it was, it was me, Scott, and Prezi at the time that were, like, trying to get into this showcase, paid our 25 bucks to have, like, the, the opportunity to be on it and stuff like that. And um, we connected at that showcase with the dude named Mason Payne. And um, I remember Prezi and him building, like, a crazy relationship and, like, them kind of, like, that growing into, like, crazy shit and uh, Prezi going into Rehearsal Factory way, way later on. But um, I remember it's just, like, spitting with him on a regular basis, but also me stumbling on, like, a bunch of beats and, like, connecting again with, like, my cousin's music group that kind of fell off and stopped doing a lot of stuff when he passed away but then came back into the fold. And we had a song called Fan. Um, well, it was it was my song, and I put them on. And that was, like, probably one of my biggest songs, if not my biggest song at the time. Yeah. Um, and that was, like, the big thing that I was, like, so hyped to perform that moment where, like, I got to take the stage, and, like, it was crazy. Like, it was just, like, that was the moment where I was, like, that this is forever. You know what I mean? Dope. So with the with the live show experience like we talked about it when we had scotty on the show it's like your guys chemistry on stage and like on record is so good uh, can you talk a little bit about um, just the importance of having a strong team behind you because i know like you connected with scotty pretty early yeah um you know what are i guess what are those elements within himself or within whether it's irks whether it's jason everybody else part of the stay out late team what what kind of does everybody bring to the table? And can you just talk about the importance of having a strong foundation? Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like it, what, what it really is is that, like, we were all friends before this. You know what I mean? So it's like being in the position that we're in right now, um, there's, there's a, a somewhat a level of trust that you don't fully get with a, a lot of different people because, like, there's a lot of, like, learning somebody. You know what I mean? And... Um, I feel like that's kind of like where we benefit more than other teams. One of the big things with like Scott and I is that like because we both started like music at the same time and like writing and and like writing together and just like being in situations where we spent like all night like like in the studio doing this doing that it's like there's a there's an understanding of each other that's like you can't you can't you rarely see that anywhere else, you know what I mean? Um, and I feel like that progresses in every way, shape, and form because, like, we did also start performing together and blah, blah, blah. So it's, like, it's literally, like, having, like, a twin brother, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we just know everything. We experience everything together. Um, from the team aspect, um, it's, there's, there's just so much, especially because, like, we never went to school for this. We ne Like, there's so much learning that we do together that, uh, it keeps us on like a very similar like level in regard to how like we learn and progress, and um, that I feel like is is the benefit of like or like how important it is, or the importance of a team is that like it allows it's not one mind, it's a bunch of minds. You know what I mean? And yeah. you guys are all working for the same goal, and it takes a lot of stress off of yourself. Where like Scotty can like be an artist or like. You know what I mean? Like I can focus on like doing like my like my project or whatever the case may be, and it's like 
bringing everything to a table and working together. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's special. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the cool thing too. A lot of people don't necessarily understand that about being an indie artist is that a lot of times you're figuring it out as you go. Yeah. You're putting stuff out and then you realize afterwards what you can do. Like you said, we're not, we, none of us went to school for this. Yeah. Like we're pretty much learning from experience. Um, has there ever been an occasion where, you know, you put something out there or you tried to do something and it just did not go the way you envisioned it or it kind of backfired in your face? This is going to sound fucked up, but I don't think so, yo. (laughs) 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 Like, I I think the thing for me is like, I like, personally, I I put a lot into, ah, no, you know what? I take it back. There is one. The first video we ever did. Um, So the first video we ever did was for a song I did called Window Seat. I was like, yo, like, we got to find the right person to shoot it. And we're, like, looking through, like, our contacts and trying to find, like, somebody who has that, like, quality. And there was this kid who I think was, like, from, like, North Carolina who was down here. And, like, he had access to a camera and he had shot something for for another artist who we were like, yeah, like, we fuck with, like, this. But, like, we had some, like, wild ass, like, we were smoking mad weed and shit back then. (laughs) We were just having, like, we used to just literally spend, because I was living on my own by, by then. And we used to just, like, spend, like, weeks in the basement just, like, smoking our face off (laughs) and watching videos and having ideas after ideas after ideas. And, like, we put together some, like, wild-ass shit. And I remember the idea being kind of like – have you ever seen a Stanley Kubrick movie? Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah. um, Eyes Wide Shut. It's very, like – it's very, like, like surreal. Yeah. But it's real. You know what I mean? Like, he has a way of having this, like, very, like, artsy, creative reality. And, like, that was kind of, like, the way that we were going. But that wasn't the flex those times. Like, everybody was still shooting, like, really hood videos. Or, like, (laughs) yo, just bring the Hennessy, bring the money. You know what I mean? Like, so we're trying to explain this, like, concept to this dude. And he's like, yeah, I kind of get it. (laughs) But it took a lot of us being directors. Everything went well. And we, like... Shout out to Irks because that was that was probably like the first time we brought Irks into the fold. Is like he had to plug for the hotel that we shot the video in. Okay, shout out. That was like one of the first times we were like, yeah, bet, bet, bet. we gotta bring this guy to the team. So like, uh, there was that, and like, so we have this big thing. We got everybody that was supposed to be involved, and we set it all up. And then it was the first time where I realized that you there's not. Like you can't smoke weed all the time, <laughs> cause like I'm in, I'm like I'm supposed to be directing this shit, and we're on set, and I'm like high as fuck, and I'm like, yo, I don't know what to do next, bro, and I'm like, I'm I so I start panicking, and I'm like, man, I gotta like not be high right now, so like we're brainstorming ideas of how like to get me not high, and I'm like, I'm I, yo. You know what? I'm just gonna go for a 1K run right quick. <laughs> so I leave the hotel and I go for a fucking run. I even think like Jake came with me and like we're I'm running around <laughs> Toronto trying to like not be high. I come back and like we finish the video. Um, it was not how I planned at all, and like we put it out. It did all right. Like it did as like considering it was our first video, we didn't know what to expect. And it was, like, the beginnings of, like, the YouTube situation or whatever. So, like, we didn't know what to expect. We did some numbers. But, like, it cheesed me so much seeing the finished product that I couldn't even keep it up. So I took it down, like, a year later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was just, like, that was was also the first time 
one of the big times where I was like, I right, yo, I'm not I'm not fucking with weed as much as I you know <laughs> I was before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I now like every once in a while I hit it and maybe like use it to write, but like I don't I'm not a big time weed smoker anymore. <laughs> that was like that was a moment for me. I was like, fuck this, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I like the 1K run though. I might yo. have to steal that idea. <laughs> it was yo. It was it was too many times. Yeah, it was <laughs> wild, bro. You like you like it. I feel like it was just like the moment and knowing that there was so much pressure because everybody in the room's relying on you yeah. and you're like, damn, I can't even rely on myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, it was like yeah, it was different. That was different. So we talked to Scotty in season one, and he mentioned how with the formation of Stay Out Late. Uh, he kind of felt like he had to make that move from Brampton to Toronto to be in the downtown core there. Uh, but you were the first one to go. So can you talk a little bit about your decision-making process around that and what went into that move? Prezi and I had already been making trips uh, specifically for Rich Kid. So Rich Kid had this series called uh, uh, Rich, uh, Rich Kid Shit. It was like his mixtapes. And he'd always have like these... Um, like release parties for them that were like nuts and like the energy that was in that space and how many people were like just so fucking hungry was like mad inspiring and coming back to Brampton you're kind of just like especially at that time like there was like there was nothing here (laughs) so you come back and you're like fuck (laughs) okay like uh, where do we get inspiration from you know what I mean and um, there was so much going on in regard to like, I, like I, I'd started living on my own, like on my own own. Like I got kicked out. I was living with my uncle from like 16 to 18 and then eight, 19 years old. I, I uh, moved out with my girl at the time and like we, I was living on my own from then and I, I started doing like, uh, promoting like club promoting. Yeah. Um, so my days would end up looking like I worked for the bank at the time and I'm starting work at like seven and then leaving work, going home, eating dinner and then going downtown and being downtown until like three, four o'clock and then going back to work at seven, doing it again. And like that time was like mad wild because like I'm not going to like incriminate myself, but I was doing some wild shit. <laughs> 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 and uh, I... I uh, I I lost a couple of cars in some like accidents because of like exhaustion and and shit like that and like I I kind of took a step back and um it was it was very reminiscent of like how my cousin passed away and I was like I know I want to f- follow this dream but I know that like what I'm doing is not right like I'm I'm walking a very fine line I need yeah. to be like I need to figure things out. I need to make this more, like, I need to make this a safer situation for myself. I need yeah. to be able to know that, like, I'm not, like, risking my life every time I fucking have to go downtown to do something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it was just lucky enough that my, uh, I call him my god cousin. It's not, it's not a real thing, but, like, um, he was moving downtown with his girl. Um, so he had moved downtown first. And I used to just crash at his spot uh, to be safer every time I was downtown and shit. And then it it got to a point where he broke up with his girl. He moved in with his brother and they had like extra space in the spot. And I was like, yo, that's mine. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm not li- li- missing this opportunity. And it was just, it was wild. I remember because like I'm with my girl and we're living together in Brampton and I have to like tell her that like she can't move downtown with me. <laughs> And I'm like, and everybody, <laughs> everybody's like, bro, you, you know what you're doing? And I'm like, I know, I have no clue, but I know that this is fucking mad important to me and this has to get done. And like, it, it definitely didn't work out in the end because like, it's the most confusing thing in a relationship for you to go from living with each other, to not living with each other. You know yeah. what I mean? And that, that was like it, that like, it was a straw broke the camel's back because it was just like a lot of arguments on like, yo, what do you mean we're not living together? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, what are you doing downtown? Like, just like trying, like, it's like, it's a, it's like the situation where like, because the other person in the situation feels like they're being left behind. If you, if you're not a person who's strong enough to kind of like deal with that, then that's going to weigh heavily on you and it's going to like fall apart. And like, yeah, it's a lot I of stress agree. on the relationship. Yeah. Um, but needless to say, came downtown and, it didn't really make anything better. It made things worse at the beginning because, like, especially being from Brampton and being, like, a fish out of water, it's like I don't have my squad there and I am I have more access to these events. So I'm going to more events, but I'm going fucking solo because, like, my cousins weren't into the scene. My cousins were just, like, there. You know what I mean? They had, like, other jobs and shit. They weren't, like, musicians or artists or anything. So, like, I'm literally, like, all right, Lord, let me do the research. Let me see, like, what's popping tonight. I'm going out. And then being in a room where nobody knows you and you're just like, yo, how do I make it in? And for the first probably like three or four months, like I'd go to these events and just like be in a corner, just like soaking things up and like trying to find a way to get in, but can't really like figure out how to make the first conversation, blah, blah, blah. And um, then like just like, I don't know, having nothing to do downtown except soak things up. And go back to Brampton and talk to my people about it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like that was something that inspired like like Scott and them is just that like that was all I was doing is like, yo, I spend the week in Bram- in Toronto and come back and just spit mad game. And um things kind of progressed from there. And once I finally found my way in and kind of fi- like found like my talking points and just like figured out like what I was really doing, then things just like took off. And that's when we had like our first big performance since the original Toronto performance, which is big ticket. And that shit was like, that was the next moment actually yeah. before, like it, from the, from the original performing moment. And that was like just after we started stay out late and when the ball started rolling and we were just like, we were on it. We were figuring so many things out in regard to like, who we were and like how we wanted to present ourselves and the people who like we were working with. And I feel like that was like the first big wave in Toronto of like the new generation of artists and like finding that inspiration and knowing that like, yo, we know how to do this. We know how to build an infrastructure, like the beginnings of the infrastructure of what the Toronto music scene was. And uh, that show was like us, a bunch of like local acts that I can't even remember who else was on the show. But all I remember is that like, I think we were probably like the last act to be added or something, but Shockler was headlining. And like okay. we were like huge fans of Shockler. So we're like, yo, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, this is a big moment. Like, let's ride. And I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, you're just having all these like flashbacks of moments. So you're like, I can't believe this shit. And then maybe the day before they released the order of the show, and we were after Shockler. 
So like that's running through worst. your running through your head, yeah. running through your head, you're like, yo, this is a setup. Like yeah. these guys are setting us up because nobody's gonna be there. After shot clear, everybody's gonna be like all turned and then leave. So that's we're like, yo. Us so many times. <laughs> so like, bro, I'm like panicking. Like, yo, we like, nah. There's there has to be a way to like fix this. Um, actually, yo, that wasn't stay out late because we were still waffles and beats at the time. Because I remember mm. the waffles and beats shirts that we printed for that show. Um, and so we had like waffles and beach shirts and I had reached out to like, I don't even remember how I figured this out, but like, I was like, yo, like we have to have like some type of giveaway or something at these shows. So like I reached out to like a bunch of companies and then pizza pizza hit us back and gave us like four gift certificates for 25 bucks. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so yeah, like, we're like in the show and like, I'm doing like huge, like we're doing huge campaigns and we're talking to everybody in the show and making sure everybody knows who we are. So there's a reason for you to fucking stay. Like it was still a big sell and we're like talking to everybody about the giveaways that we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm talking to, uh, uh, the dude who's throwing it on, which is, uh, I remember his name, but his, like the, the showcase was big ticket and he used to be, uh, he used to be called uh, pro big ticket pro. So I'm talking to pro and I'm like, yo, we got to give two of these like pizza, pizza things away, but people got to know that it's us. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> we're doing some campaigning so people will stay. And he's like, he's like mad chill. And like, I still like, I, to this day, I couldn't really fully read him. Cause he's like, you don't worry about it. People will stay, bro. You're wilding out for nothing. And just like yeah. such a like laid back attitude. But we've all, we had also at that time done a few shows before where like the person would say the same thing and then fuck us and then be like, yeah. my bad, bro. I thought it would work out differently. And I'm, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like, nah, like this isn't happening again. <laughs> so we do all this campaigning. He allows us to give away a couple things beforehand. And Shot Claire goes on and has like this like dope set. Um, there were a couple hiccups because he brought like a couple of people on that were kind of like whack. <laughs> and I remember that being like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was kind of like the gateway. And I was like, yo, people are going to fuck with us. And we also brought like a shit ton of people out. I feel like we brought at least 100 to 150 people to that show. Yeah. So like we knew that there was a crowd, but like it was at Velvet Underground. And Velvet Underground is like a 500-ish person. Yeah. And it was packed, like sold out. The time comes for us to perform, and I remember there being like a little flux of people leaving, and I remember screaming at everybody, being like, "Yo, nobody's fucking leaving! <laughs> like, you gotta, y'all better stay and watch this set." We and got like, pizza, man. Where you going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it was like, it was like this energy where like people responded. Like, I seen people just like stop and turn around and be like, "I bet we can give these guys a chance," <laughs> like reluctantly, like, "Oh fuck, man." I don't want to look like that person that just walks yeah. out. <laughs> so um, we do our set and it was like the wildest moment because we, we like at that time, we were also like first generation of like in that uh, showcase. It was like a lot of like old schooler rappers, like even the people who like were our age were still on that like more hip hop, like, like, you know, like Wu-Tang, like that type of vibe. So it was like a lot of like lyricism. But we had already kind of, like, broken into the idea of being, like, the party kids. Yeah. So, like, our tracks were a little bit more, like, yeah, like, dance, like, vibe, boom, 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 and, like, get people into it. So, like, the crowd was, like, loving it. And um, <laughs> it was, there were so many crazy things that happened. Like, Scott crowd surfed. And, like, that was the first time we seen, like, a crowd surf, like, in real life for us. <laughs> and, like, it was just, like, there were so many moments. And, like, we were, like, dragging people on the stage and everybody was wilding out. Like, we still have some epic photos from that performance. And it was just, like, 
nuts. And it was it was the first time I, I also realized that like every performance I gotta take my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. Now that I think of it, I was wondering that. I was like, how the fuck? I'm like, it's minus thirty outside and Trey has a shirt off. Like, I'm like, Yo. now that I think of it, I don't think that yeah, there's never been a show where you've been with a shirt for the entire thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, that was the moment because like conspiracy. Theory, yo, it, yo. I, it, it's like some like yo, I it, it, the show isn't as hype as I wanted to be if my shirts would come off. That's like <laughs> that's like my instinct. My instinct is like when shit gets hot, when shit gets super hot, I gotta just like ah, I just go off. Um, but it was like super dope. And I remember that being a, like a crazy energy for us, and that being the moment where like uh, Scott and everybody was like, yo, we gotta be down here. And within, I don't even know how long it was, but like within no time, they were down here. We were all down here. I had, my cousins had got subsidized housing and bounced from the spot that we were staying at. So I was ass out. But then I was living with with uh, Scott and Jay, like on the couch in like the apartment that they were in. And we just like, we had like this crazy year where, where we were getting like show after show after show after show. And everybody just kept hearing about, yo, stay out late. Like those guys have crazy shows like their performances are like on point and uh we built this like crazy name in like out of nowhere and it was just like shit okay <laughs> okay toronto likes us okay you know what i mean Definitely. Um, but as, as someone that's been you know in the downtown core on the ground floor of the toronto scene what are i guess what are some of the positives that you've seen with how much the scene is expanding and how many opportunities are coming up and what are some of the, the limitations that still mm-hmm. exist? Um, the positives is the fact that um, there's not really any, like, barriers to, like, how you can connect to any scene or any opportunity. Like, we came up where we were doing hip-hop shows. Then we were doing trap shows. Then we were doing rock shows. And, like, we were just, like, everybody wanted us to perform with them. And, like, I feel like that's a very sick place to be in because there's no like there's no shortage of work for you you know what i mean um and the how inviting people are when you get past that that first layer is like something that i feel like is beautiful and unique to toronto in regard to how you're able to step in every field because i feel like we were the people who started that and now you're starting to see it in other places um but like that's important for artists to kind of take into consideration is don't feel like you got to just do like your hip hop shows, like go talk to a rock band and open for them and and take advantage of that audience and see what they have that the hip hop scene is missing or whatever the case may be. And like we have, we are a music forward city. We're not in Austin. We're not in Nashville yet, but like we are music forward. There are opportunities for you to do a lot and a lot of spaces that if you can, have a real conversation and like express your actual vision for what you're doing they'll allow you to do it you know yeah. what i mean um the setbacks i want to say is just the fact that like we do go through times where like because <laughs> um with hip-hop there's always going to be like that pocket of like gangster rap that exists there's a lot of problems that we get connected to that that fucks a lot of things up for us like for places like uh, Danforth Music Hall and Opera House and other, and certain places like that, like they're very reluctant to do hip hop shows. But like when for us, like 
where we're at, we've plateaued in regard to doing like the mod clubs and revivals and, and Velvet Undergrounds. Like those are smaller capacity venues for us now. You know what I mean? And we want to be able to break into doing something like the Danforth Music Hall where the capacity allows us to, to dream bigger yeah. and have a bigger stage and a bigger audience. But being able to talk to those guys is like, is like they want their money first and they're going to charge you an arm and a leg to get the spot. And then outside of that, it's like, yo, y'all better be done at like some ridiculous time, like 1030, the show better be done. And you're like, bro, like (laughs) this is hip hop. Like we don't start until 1030, you know what I mean? And like that, those things make it hard for you to break through to a place where like you can think and do business and create at a space where people are like, whoa, you know what I mean? Like it's not just like a, a it's not like an open mic situation. Like these guys are like artists. These guys are like superstars. Yeah. Um, which is like at the point where you kind of like start thinking about traveling. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, another thing that I feel like you guys are really good at is just getting brands involved with events and stuff like that. Where? Can you kind of get like obviously you talked about the like fucking the the pizza pizza gift cards, bro. <laughs> like you guys were way ahead of your fucking time yeah. at that point. But it's just like, yo, to even have that idea, like let's hit mm-hmm. up major companies. Mm-hmm. Like that's fucking. It's a bold move as a young kid, but Hell it's yeah. like now it's like it's showing. That's been a constant in your guys' evolution. Yeah, like yeah, how yeah. does that kind of come into your story? Um, well, that it's funny. I feel like that came a lot from the fact that like uh, I got into fashion when I came down here. Um, and I started working for like a lot of companies and a lot of like local companies and I've always like had a passion and had an understanding and had a lot of conversations and I modeled a lot for these companies. Um, but it kind of like gives you an opportunity to learn from them and take that and put it into other aspects and kind of like bring people together, um, for a specific reason. Um, and like, it's, it's really just being open to having conversations with everybody in their like dreams and aspirations and knowing the people that you're around you know what i mean um and then just reaching out and knowing your brand and how it connects to others you know what i mean like nobody is gonna like be like yo fuck out of here or, like get yeah. on you if you send an email to fucking nike and be like yo nike yo i want to perform in a pair of cortezes you're not gonna be like yo fuck out of here you'll never wear it <laughs> you know what i mean you're not gonna get you're not gonna get an email back like yo who are you, <laughs> are you dumb? you're not kendrick <laughs> nah like usually they're they're open to it because like their business like yeah. it, to them it's like all right well Let's weigh this. Like, if I give this kid, like, a pair of fucking $60 Cortez or, like, it costs them, like, 15 bucks to make. So, yeah. it's like, you know, if I give these guys a $15 pair of Cortez that it costs me 15 bucks to make and they get me, like, five sales, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That paid for itself. So, it's like, yeah. they weigh things a lot. They, that that's the business. They hire somebody specifically to weigh those options. Whereas, like, for us being smaller businesses, we don't fully do that. And then, as Noise was saying, it's like, we tend to usually devalue ourselves and not really realize that there's a lot that we have to offer. You know what I mean? And a lot of opportunities that we can give ourselves just by having that conversation. So yeah. like, that's it, man. Just like as much as you can, don't stop talking. <laughs> don't stop up. talking. Don't stop sending out these emails. Just like push as much as you can. If you have an idea, act on it and then Straight figure up. it out after. As long as it's in the universe and something will happen. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that like fear fucks with us a lot, right? Yeah. And if you if you push that fear aside and you just look at it like, yo, let me just fucking try. That's it. And that that's usually where opportunities arise yep. from, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so Trey, we're we're getting close to the end here. We're gonna wrap up soon. But one question that I've always wanted to ask you, and I think Dusty might appreciate this question too, is what is your favorite Kanye album? Damn. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, <laughs> damn, 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 damn. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw your mind explode right now. <laughs> that's, a, that's a controversial question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe okay, what, Maybe not all time, because I have some artists where like I don't have a favorite album, but at different moods or different ages, I might connect with certain bodies of yeah. work. Well, so like, okay, so this is, the, I, uh, this is, to be honest, like the most honest answer that I can give for it. Uh, the Kanye situation is that like what I was saying before the person who made me kind of like realize what my music meant outside of my first performance was like Kanye and the through through the wire where I was like I right, cool it doesn't have to always be about like the punchlines and shit and that kind of has always been my connection like listening to uh college dropout like that was where I was at then listening to late registration that was where I was at and there was like this evolution of like learning music and learning the world that I felt like I was sharing with him every album, like literally up until TLOP. You know what I mean? Um, fuck. <laughs> Yo, even uh, um, the last one that dropped, Yay, uh, like I even connected with that to an extent where like learning about like the whole like, like mental health and like it's just like we are so in sync in like a very strange way that like I get it and like where everybody's always like like from TLOP or even from like 808s uh where people were like yo you don't understand that and like 808s was probably the one time where I was like yo I didn't even understand it and it took me probably like maybe like six seven months and I was like oh wait no I do get it um it's always been that like relationship so like it's hard to really pick an album but one that I always go back to that kind of like gives me like a, a weird sense of like motivation uh, is Yeezus. Like Yeezus to me, like had a lot of aspects of like, of Kanye like rec or realizing something and he's like, oh shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything came together and made so much sense and where he kind of like lacked in a sense, like the contact or the consciousness that he had before, I feel like he picked up a lot in regard to like, giving this new like energy to the music that he was making and having this like cinematic feel that I've always like fully appreciated that I respect in regard to the fact of you knowing like when it comes to like music, this is who you are. You know what I mean? He identified who he was and he's like, yeah, like I, this is who I'm embracing. You know what I mean? And it inspired countless albums afterward you know what i mean it was like the thing that i feel like broke the mold in regard to like i could do whatever the fuck that i want <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and i respect and appreciate that from that album but then tlop and i feel like something that i haven't had a lot in conversation about with that album is the fact that like for me i struggle a lot um because of uh, the fact that i am like somebody who I like doing things that are like a little bit more energetic uh, and a little bit more controversial. I struggle with like the line of like lyrics and like how people receive it. Yeah. And then also kind of like knowing that like I am a very conscious person. So I have a lot of like deep conversations and shit and people take might take things the wrong way or like expect me to do a certain type of music. 
and TLOP to me was like that duality, like which one, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. are you going to like go to strip club or are you going to go to church? You, you know what I mean? It's like, there's like so much of that where like the heavy gospel influence, but then the heavy trap influence and the, and like you can hear the demons, but you can also hear like the passion and the beauty in regard to him just wanting to like save the world. You know what I mean? Him wanting to express like an emotional feeling like you can get out, you can be this great. You know what I mean? And like that, spoke to me a lot and i find myself going back to tlop a lot for that aspect of it like how much he brought out of all of his features the weekend chance and like it I, to me i feel like it was like a beautiful piece of work for who kanye is in regards to bringing people together to make something that is like endlessly inspiring okay so you kind of touched on your favorite kanye album uh-huh. but what's the top three though Top three Kanye albums or? Yeah, both. Top three Kanye and top three ever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> top three Kanye, easy, is uh, TLOP, Yeezus, and College Dropout. Okay. Fuck. I mean, okay. Yo, you know what? It's hard. It's, it's hard because like 808 was a banger, Yo. but also Graduation was like, Graduation was a banger too. I feel like 808 is the most influential. Like I feel yeah. like he changed all. The, oh yeah, the scope of music yeah, 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 with 808s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, Everything that's going on now started from 808s. Eight, from 808s, eight eight, yep, Everything yep, yep. we have right now yep. is 808s and yep, fucking yep, heartbreak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yep. wild. Like I feel like that is the most impact he had. I wouldn't say I wouldn't necessarily say it's his best work, mm-hmm. but impact on the culture. Yeah, I feel like yeah, that. Yeah, the yeah, most. yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta take it. Like it's hard. It I, is, said, I, is, said, I said it, I was like, easy. And I thought off the top, and I was like, that's easy. And then I was like, wait, 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 I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. That's, hard. that's a hard question for Kanye. Forever? Forever. Just, what, like, your personal go-tos. Like, the album that no matter what fucking part of life you're in, you can just fucking throw on, and you're going to listen to it, front to back. Um, see, it's it's... It's weird because I don't have, I feel like everybody kind of has like a, a, a progressive state where like they're connected to like the industry and like whatever, like your timeline is like Blueprint came out and when everybody was like on Blueprint, you were on Blueprint. But my experience with a lot of like, especially hip hop is like, I'm either before or after everybody. Yeah. So like, for instance, with Blueprint, like Blueprint is an album that I f- I fuck with super heavy, but I don't revisit it a lot. TLOP, I revisit a lot, um, mainly because of what I was saying is just like where I'm at in my life right now, like I struggle a lot with like that duality and it's important for me to kind of like have something that helps me reflect. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um I don't know, man. It's hard, especially because I listen to so much so music much, as well. Uh, like, it's not, it's not just hip hop anymore. Like, I gotta. I I like I even my like yeah. top five is forever changing. What, like, what, what are your, what are your go tos though? As far as like three albums you could put on anytime. Like to me, the greatest ever rap album ever created is Doggy Style. Like, okay. like Snoo- like flawless to me. Like sure. I. It puts me in the fucking mood of being a young kid in the back of my brother's car and hearing it. Every time I listen to it, you're you're a you're a West Coast dude. Uh, eh? Yo, it, it's weird because <laughs> like in, yeah. it, it was so fucked up when gangster rap became like a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. It like even in Norway, like a fucking Christian white country, 
motherfuckers would be wearing red rags, bro. Like that's <laughs> the in, that was the influence that it had. Yeah. Like, yo, there was no fucking Bloods and Crips in fucking Norway. Yeah. But like, yo, that's the impact that it had globally. Facts. That yo, fucking Facts. yeah, we're gang members, bro. Like, fuck <laughs> it. Like, but that, like, I remember how big the West Coast was at that point. Uh-huh. And but the thing to me was the the. The way Snoop just rode those beats were fucking, mm. it Facts. was just fucking flawless Facts. to me. It, it's, so that is, yeah, I don't know. I don't, there's not many albums that, for me, that has the impact of that. Yeah. What about you? Um, I've got to say Equemini. Equemini, yeah. Like, I was, I was at that age. I, I was probably like 11 or 12 when the album came out. So that was the time when I was developing my own taste as far as what I liked mm, in music, yeah. what I wanted out of an album. And the album is so deep, like not even just lyrically, but musically. There's mm. so much into it. There's funk, there's jazz, there's like 808s on there. There's like Raekwon's on there on like an East Coast type. Like there's everything mm. within hip hop within that album. Mm. And certain songs will hit, just hit you at different points. I remember like last year I was listening to Liberation, like, there's yeah. like a month where I listen to that song every day, <laughs> right? Just certain songs that hit you at different moments. So I think Aquemini is like, for me, one of the best, one of the best albums ever made. My hot take is that I always prefer Big Boy over Three Stacks. Facts? Like, yo, mm. like the, probably the okay. only person that will say that. <laughs> that's not taking nah, you got, you got, you got a little Three Stacks. I know the genius that Three yeah. Stacks is, but to me, there's nobody that can rap like Big Boy. Facts. There, Facts. He's definitely. Please in tell his me one person that can lane. emulate the way He's he flows. There's nobody. Yeah. He is a fucking unicorn yep. in this rap shit. Yep. He is something that nobody else can yep. ever do. Nah, that syllabism doesn't right? make no but, sense. And, and there's, <laughs> there's there's something within that with with three stacks too. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that can do that. But he also bred a, a generation a that generation that, that can get rap. pretty close. Whereas, like, Big Boy, like, there's a lot of imitators, but, like, nobody can hit it like him. He's a mm. special fucking guy in that sense, yo. Fuck, man. If, if we're going to have yeah. this hip-hop combo, <laughs> I think we might be here for the next two hours, yo. Yeah. Trey, we got to have you back facts. on so we can <laughs> we we just the ra- Yo, it. we got to start doing the side hustle episodes where mm. we just have roundtable hip-hop. Jeez, you already yo, made the I'm name of it, it. side hustle. Yo, and we need Dusty in here because, yo, I feel like... Yo, we're going to have some heated topics. Facts, <laughs> facts, 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 facts. All right, so we're going to bring this one to a close. We like to close every episode with a little segment where we have everybody that's on the show name one thing that they're grateful for. It could be a thing, a person, just anything in your life that you want to honor that energy for being present in your life. Um, so is anybody that would like to, to volunteer and go first? I'll go, I'll go first. Yeah. Right? Just keeping on topic of what we're really going on. Like It made me realize how much I fucking love Outkast. <laughs> like, literally, that is probably the most influential group in my life. And I can remember every fucking album and what the fuck was going on in my life. And even till now, collecting the vinyls and all that, Mm. like, it means so much to me as a fan. And just, you know, it kind of, it fucked with me once Outkast stopped making music. But then I always remember, I 
I don't, I don't want to get the line wrong, but I remember when when Andre says, yo, when your favorite group ain't coming with it no more, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, in that sense, I'm kind of happy that they never gave me a shit album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because that could have ruined the legacy <laughs> to true. me of what Outkast is. Right. But, like, even Idle Wild, it might not be my favorite, but I still don't think it's a misstep. Nah, no, right? still not at all, right? Nah. So it's like... Yeah, there's albums within there that I might not listen to as much as the others, but I'm so happy that I can look through that whole discography and be like, yo, my my heroes didn't let me down, you know? Mm. So in that sense, yo, I'm grateful to Big Boy, Three Stacks, the whole Dungeon motherfucking family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to give a shout out to my friend Shane. Uh, Trey, you were talking a little bit about uh, a little earlier about how you, know, you had that cousin that was involved in the Toronto scene. So my friend Shane this is back when we were in middle school and we were so big on Canadian hip-hop like Mathematic, Infinite, Monolith okay. like all these guys that <laughs> were Christ. that weren't known anywhere else outside of the Toronto scene but me and my friend Shane we would like watch Rap City on Much Music it's not even the BET Rap City yeah the Much the Music much Rap music City, rap city yeah. where they would play like five videos and that was it uh, yeah. right so we would find new Canadian artists from there and we listened to a lot of like college radio, so like U of T, York University, they would have hip hop shows that would play a lot of local artists. So my love for Canadian hip hop started in those middle school years with my friend Shane, and we would just like find new artists and try to find, you know, try to find their albums, however rare they were. And so that kind of was the first yeah, uh, super the fir shout out to Shane. Bro. Yeah, That's that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time when hip-hop felt like we were hip-hop fans like lifelong but that was the first time hip-hop felt tangible because like these were artists from rexdale they were from toronto yeah. they were from areas that no, we can go that. to like northern touch really yeah. like put the stamp on it and then from there we just discovered so many other artists like under that umbrella yo super shout out to jellystone i see that guy yeah. all the time downtown yeah and like it, i like i don't think he will ever realize how important his like music is like oh, the one two yeah. hits that he had like just changed i can shit. still see the baby blue bends riding <laughs> through rexdale bro i can still see that oh like, man you, you don't know what that meant to us as kids Facts. you know like, yeah. what do you mean fuck holy bro. crap that's amazing and yeah and like a lot of the artists they would like jellystone he shouts out rexdale boulevard yeah. in yeah. his song right <laughs> and it's like these are places you can go and touch and experience yeah. So yeah, shout it out to Shane. Times was hard, rolling through the Rexdale Rex Boulevard. Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yo, shout out Shane, shout out Jellystone. Yeah. Jesus, jeez. I feel like man, like this, this like being able to have conversations with the people that you fuck with, like super heavy, like that's mad important. You know what I mean? Mm, like yeah. there's so many moments that are created, and it's it's just good for like manifesting like different ways of thinking and being able to like get outside of your own head sometimes like having opportunities to have full out conversations with people without just like any interruption you know yeah. what i mean like it's it's that's mad important like it's it's beautiful you never want to be in a situation where you can't just like call somebody up and just like talk for two hours about mm -hmm. whatever you know what i mean like that's what i'm grateful for bro like at any given moment of my life there's always been an opportunity for me to sit down and just like let it all out. Yeah, uh, I mean, no, it's very. It, 
when do we have time to put our phones away and fucking have a combo these exactly. days? Exactly. Right? That's yeah. kind of, exactly. that is a thing to be grateful for. Hell it's yeah. Like, even through this podcast, the shit that we've got to know about our friends that we've been around, like, yeah. yo, the shit we learned today, even with you, it's mm-hmm. like, it, it gives me a greater sense of the people that I'm around, right? Facts. And like, all it takes is to sit down for two hours, exactly. put your fucking phones exactly. away, and let's yeah. conversate. Exactly. Right? That's all it takes, man. Hell yeah. As a hungover as I am right now, <laughs> it was well fucking worth waking up. Yeah, we uh, fucking noise and I were talking about that on the way here. It's just like, I feel like it's a different energy when you start your day with shit like this. Because yeah. then you're like, yo, what? Sleep? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, for yeah, real, I mean, bro. Let me go for a 1K jog right quick. <laughs> <laughs> yo, after this, I might just get high and go for a run. You know? <laughs> Settle my ass down, bro. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. With that being said, this has been the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay. <laughs>